We turn now to the preaching of God's Word. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, we are taking a break from our series in the book of Philippians to take a look at this passage from the book of Acts as we remember our, the resurrection of our Savior today. We're going to read in, from verse 22 to verse 41. Hear now the reading of the word of the Lord. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I should not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us. Let us go to him in prayer and ask for his blessing on the preaching of his word. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things from your law. Clear away the hardness of our heart, the distractions of our heart, the sin of our heart. Would your Holy Spirit 
Open the eyes of our hearts that we would see. Create new life where there is death. And Lord, where there remains remnants of death in us who believe and trust in Christ, would you overcome that in us through your word this morning. And may Jesus Christ be exalted as he already is exalted. In whose name we pray. Amen. Today is Easter. And there is one question I would like to ask you. What do you believe about Jesus? It is the most important question that you can answer in your life. What do you believe about Jesus? It is a question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Well, the question for you today is, who do you say that Jesus is? Is he simply a historical figure who lived a good life and was kind and was an example to others of what to do under suffering? Was Jesus a holy man who is here to show us how we are also to be holy? Is he, as we proclaim, the Son of God, God himself in the flesh, risen from the dead? But more importantly, as we focus on this question of what do you believe about Jesus, you must answer for yourself this question, what do you believe about the resurrection? This is the central claim of Christianity. This is the one thing that everything that we believe hinges upon, whether or not Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says, if Christ is not risen then your faith is vain. If Jesus did not rise from the dead 2,000 years ago, then we are wasting our time this morning. And you are wasting your time. But in fact, we proclaim that Christ is risen from the dead. As Peter here declares to many of the people in Jerusalem that he was a witness of Christ being risen from the dead. So today I would like to ask you this question. What Do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that he was risen from the dead? I'd like to show you from this passage in Acts that we have before us that we can believe that indeed Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. But more than that, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us today if Jesus was risen from the dead? I'd like to look at this passage in three ways. I'd like to see the guarantee of his resurrection the evidence of his resurrection, and the power of his resurrection. So first, the guarantee of his resurrection. Peter begins by telling these men of Israel that Jesus, who they saw, who lived his life performing miracles, that they saw themselves, this was no doubt even among the Pharisees who hated Jesus and eventually participated in his crucifixion, that this Jesus was raised from the dead. But he goes on in verse 24, Jesus, or Paul, Peter says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible, Peter says, for Jesus to stay dead. He couldn't stay dead. This is a very important thing for us to think about and a question to answer. Why was it not possible for Jesus to stay dead? Why couldn't he 
unlike the rest of us, stay in his tomb? Well, Peter gives us a few reasons. And he quotes Psalm 16, written by the King David, King of Israel, many thousands of years before this. The first thing that Peter tells us is that God promised that he would not let his Holy One see decay. What Peter wants these men of Israel and wants you to know today is that it was not possible for Jesus to stay dead because God promised that he would not let Jesus stay dead. See, behind this whole thing of Jesus' resurrection is a promise by God. And theologians, we have a fancy term that we like to use called the covenant of redemption. It is simply a promise that God the Father made to Jesus Christ, made to the Son of God, that he would give him a kingdom. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. That's the psalm, Psalm 110, that David quotes later on in this passage. God promised to him, and he planned it. This is exactly what Peter tells right here, verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was God's plan from all of eternity to send Jesus Christ to die and to rise from the dead and to give the Lord Jesus Christ a kingdom. What is fascinating about this kingdom is who would make up that kingdom. That kingdom would be made up of sinners. The kingdom of God, made up of the very people who have no right to be in that kingdom. And in order for those those sinners to become citizens of that kingdom and belong to God's kingdom, they must be righteous. And they cannot do that themselves. You cannot make yourself righteous to enter into God's kingdom. And this is what the Son agreed to in this covenant of redemption. That He would go. That He would do the work necessary to make those sinners righteous. He came to do God's will. In verse 27, He says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. It is a promise that God has given to His Son, that David, the patriarch, as Peter calls him, understood. And the son came willingly to rescue sinners, to bring them into his kingdom. He came to do God's will as a human being. And he rescued us, sinners, through his death and resurrection. And Peter gives us the reason why Jesus could not stay dead is because God made a promise that the Messiah would not stay dead. And God keeps his word. And he kept his word, as we see from this passage. But that is not the only reason that we see here of why Jesus could not stay dead. It was not possible for him to stay dead because God promised. But it was also not possible because he was the Holy One. He was righteous. It would have been an injustice of God for Jesus to stay dead. God would actually be committing unrighteousness 
for Jesus to stay dead in the tomb. See, Jesus could die. He came as a human. He, he came in our flesh and blood, just like all of us. But those who violate God's law are those who are worthy of death. Yet Jesus was holy. He had done nothing to deserve death. And if Jesus lay dead in his tomb forever, then that would say that he did something wrong. And that would be wrong of God to plan the death of his son and leave him in the grave, showing to all the world that his son had done something wrong. But God is just. He is a righteous God. And he would not let his son, the perfect, righteous, holy one of God, stay dead. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your holy one see corruption. God had to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. He was perfect. He did not deserve death. He did not earn it. And because he was righteous, God raised him from the dead. He had to vindicate Jesus before everyone in this whole world to show this whole world that this is the righteous one who did not deserve death. That no, Jesus did not die because he did something wrong. In fact, Jesus died because he did something right. To show the world that Jesus is righteous. That he is holy. He is perfect. But maybe you're asking a question. And if you aren't, I'm going to ask it for you. Why not raise him immediately? If we confess that Jesus died, why didn't he just let Jesus come back to life on the cross? Why not just, he dies on the cross, they pierce him, they bring him down, and as they bring him down, he comes right back to life. Why go through this whole ordeal of burying Jesus in a tomb? The reason that Jesus was buried is so that you and I would know assuredly that he died. His burial is proof that Jesus Christ died. This is why we confess in our creeds and of the Apostles' Creed and others that he was crucified, died, and was buried. We don't simply say he was crucified, died, and raised from the dead. It is an article of faith for us to believe that Jesus Christ was buried. We must believe that he was buried. The burial of Jesus lying in the tomb from Friday to Sunday is an article of faith for us. And in that tomb, Jesus' dead human body lay, lifeless. Friday evening to Sunday morning. Why did Jesus die? We are hearing about his resurrection, but why did he have to die? If death couldn't hold him, then why did he go through this? Jesus died because only God could save sinners from the utter ruin that we have brought upon ourselves. See, we sold ourselves into slavery and sin. 
And apart from Jesus Christ, you are under the power of your sin and under the power of Satan. That is why God promises Jesus a kingdom to destroy the power of Satan that this whole world is under. Scripture tells us that we have no goodness, no righteousness before God. That we only have death and sin. And because of that, we all justly deserve the wrath and judgment of God. Yet, Jesus came to die. To suffer all the wrath of God against sin. So that he could take it away. This is what we believe that happened to Jesus Christ on the cross. As he died to take away the judgment that is due to our sin. We deserve death, yet he took it from us. This is why he died on the cross. And he proved that he died by being buried in the ground. And this leads us to our second point this morning, the evidence of his resurrection, the proof that he, in fact, was buried in the ground, the proof that he, in fact, rose from the dead. Now, if you are a user of social media like I am from time to time, you will have seen several things people posting this week, both in support of the resurrection that we celebrate today on Easter and also against. One young woman wrote this, dead people... Don't come back to life. We do not see this today. I don't know anybody. I don't have any friends or family members who has come back to life. This is not an observable phenomenon that people say. And you can almost hear the words of Paul echoing in this phrase. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. If we believe that people will be raised from the dead because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and that's not actually true, as I said in the beginning, we are wasting our time, and we are most to be pitied. We are those who give our lives away. We are those who are continually dying to ourselves, not giving ourselves over to the desires of our hearts. And everybody should pity us and look at us and say, you absurd Christians... You're not giving yourself over to this world because you think that you're going to raise from the dead? You think this is going to happen because Jesus rose from the dead? If this life is all there is, then live it up. As the woman said, dead people don't come back to life. Except for when they do. And there were witnesses. There were witnesses who saw this. It happened. There is evidence. In the book of Acts, where our passage comes from, the apostles are shown as those who continually testify to the resurrection. Acts 4.33, a couple chapters later, it says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. What's interesting here is these men are not giving testimony about how Jesus has changed their lives. 
That may be an important thing. But for them, what matters is not whether or not Jesus has changed their lives. What matters is whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. And they saw him. And they went around and told everybody that they could that Jesus rose from the dead. Testifying, we have seen this man come back from the dead. Not only come back from the dead, he ministered among us and then he was taken up into heaven right before our very eyes. Why is this important? It's important that they were witnesses to his death. Remember who this is that's giving this sermon here. This is Peter. Do you remember who Peter was? Do you remember what Peter did? The night before Jesus was betrayed, Peter swore that he would never abandon Jesus. But what happened the night when Jesus was crucified? The night before. Peter denied him once, twice, three times. Peter was one who denied Jesus. Yet here he is, a few months later, bearing witness that, yes, in fact, this is, I saw this man. John, who's also present here, John the Apostle, who wrote the book of John and several letters, was also at the foot of the cross and saw Jesus lying, hanging and dying on a cross. And he watched Jesus be put to death. And then the very tomb where Jesus' body was placed was three days later. These were men who went to the tomb. And the people who put Jesus to death, the Pharisees, they knew what Jesus had said. They claimed, we know that this man has made statements that he would rise from the dead three days later. So you know what we're going to do? We think these disciples are going to come and deceive us. They're going to try and pull a fast one on us. They're going to go in and rob that tomb of the body and then make this absurd statement that he's risen from the dead. So here's what we're going to do, the Pharisees conspired. We're going to get the Romans to put a guard, guards, in front of the tomb. Now, we, most of our pictures of tombs are about this, this high. What you must understand is that tombs in that day are small. It's enough for a body to fit in. The tomb was there. Guards were in front of it, and then they sealed it shut. They wanted to make sure, under no certain terms, that a body would be coming out of that tomb, neither from people coming to take it out, nor from somebody coming out themselves. But what happened? The tomb was empty. It's empty. But what's fascinating as the New Testament records, is who were the first people on the scene? The first people on the scene was not Peter and John. The first people on the scene were three women. Now you might say, okay, that's really neat that there were three women that showed up at the tomb, but what does that have to do with anything? Well, if you're trying to lie you are not going to use people that other people don't trust. Women in the first century were not considered a reliable witness in court. 
And so if you're going to spread a lie, you're not going to use somebody that everybody else thinks is unreliable. You're going to send somebody, you're going to use your most reliable people. You would think they would put men. They would record these as the first people to witness the resurrection. Yet here we see the New Testament saying, it doesn't matter. Whether or not you believe this, because it was women to the first century Jew, these were the first people. And if that makes our message unreliable to you, that is your problem. And they were the first people to see Jesus. And then Jesus appealed to over, appeal, appeared to over 500 people. And this is significant because all these people here at this meeting could go and talk to all these other people and say, did you see him? Yeah, we saw him. There's 500 of us. Hundreds of people saw Jesus. You could go talk to them. Hear about what he said to them. What did you do? Well, he sat by a lake with us and we ate fish together. Really? You ate fish with Jesus? Yeah. See, there is an abundance of evidence that Scripture gives us that Jesus actually rose from the dead. The question for you is, do you believe it's true? Who is Jesus for you? You say, well, I would need to see this. I would need to see this for me to believe this. I can't believe that Jesus rose from the dead until I actually see somebody come back to life. Well, Jesus told the story to a man. Because he knows that people don't believe God's word, even when it comes to them. There's a story of, that Jesus tells of a rich man and then a poor man, Lazarus, who they both die. The rich man goes to Hades, and the poor man goes to heaven. And then the rich man down in, in hell, he cries out and says, save me from this. And God says to him, or the, uh, Lazarus, this poor man who's in heaven, says, we can't. There's a great chasm. Or it's actually Abraham who says that to him. There's a great chasm. We can't cross between. And so this man says, well, send somebody to them. Send Lazarus, who's in heaven, send him to there. Go tell my brothers and friends that, that there is a resurrection. Go tell my friends that there is life after death. And to repent and change and reform their lives. This is what Jesus says. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither, they, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. See, what you must understand, and what I must understand, and all of us must understand, is that seeing miracles is not sufficient for the human heart to believe. You could see Jesus risen from the dead, and that may still not convince you. The Pharisees saw Jesus performing miracles. There was no question that he healed people. There was no question that he even raised people from the dead. That's one of the reasons they wanted to kill him. It was because he raised Lazarus, one of his friends, from the dead. The 
The question is, do you believe the testimony? Do you believe God's word? That what he's saying to you is true? The last point that we have this morning is the power of his resurrection. What is the purpose for you and I of the resurrection? We have looked at the fact, the assurance that you and I have of his resurrection, and then the evidence of his resurrection. But what does this resurrection mean in the end? Why is this such a big deal? Why is this something that we as Christians are willing to stake our entire lives on? Everything in this world on? The whole point of Jesus' resurrection from the dead is to give life to those who are dead. The only way you will live is if God gives you life. And the way God makes us alive is through sending his Holy Spirit to us. See, what you must understand is that this is what's called Pentecost. This sermon happens after the Holy Spirit descends as tongues of fire on these men and they're speaking in foreign languages and everybody thinks, Something crazy is happening. This is astonishing. Some people even say they're drunk. And so Peter preaches the sermon to explain what is happening. That the Holy Spirit has now come. He is now present. And this is the way that Jesus gives life. is through His Holy Spirit. It is the power of His resurrection that raises dead men to life. Now, why can Jesus send this Holy Spirit? The reason he can send the Holy Spirit, the one who was present at creation, bringing life into the world, now bringing life into dead men, spiritually speaking, The reason that Jesus can send his Holy Spirit is because he was justified before God. He was proven right. He must have the right in order to give life to other people. That right must belong to him. And the right that he has to give life to you and I is that he is alive. As the reigning Davidic king ruling over heaven and earth. And his resurrection is the proof that that is true. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And Jesus Christ has conquered the chief enemy of man, death. He conquered death, and death no longer has any power over him. He cannot die again. And he was and will be forever perfect and holy and righteous. And now he gives to us, through his Holy Spirit, the reward of his righteous rule. This is why... Scripture in Romans says that Jesus was raised for our justification. He was raised to life so that he could give his life to those who were dead in their trespasses and sins. 
Romans 1 says he was declared to be the Son of God in power by the Spirit of holiness so that he could grant us eternal life. He was raised from the dead so that as he is declared righteous before all heaven and earth, that now God can on his behalf declare you righteous. And Jesus and Jesus alone has this right to give righteousness and eternal life and no one else because he has been justified not only before the court of heaven but before all the earth. And so he sends his Holy Spirit. He sends his Holy Spirit to apply all the blessings that he obtained the forgiveness of sins, righteousness before him, eternal life, adoption, that you are now a son of God, that you will live forever with him in perfect joy and happiness and blessedness. And this same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead now dwells in his people. See, this building is not the church. Humans, human beings are the church. God does not dwell in this building. God dwells in his people. Humans are now the temple of God because the Holy Spirit has come into the hearts of believers to dwell in them. And Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit in order to give life. Romans 8 says this, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead also will give life to your mortal bodies through his Holy Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit comes and gives life to us. And he unites us to Jesus' risen human body. How does he do that? Well, he does it by faith. He gives us faith. He gives us the ability and willingness to believe that Jesus rose from the dead for me, for you. The Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus by faith. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit changes our hearts. Our hearts are dead to God apart from the Holy Spirit's working. We cannot see this, we cannot believe it, unless He changes us and makes us alive. To believe that Jesus Christ is our life, Titus chapter 3 says, He saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, not because of all the good things that we've done, but He saved us according to His own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration making new, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit convinces us of our sin and misery, that we are dead to God, that we have no life in our sins, that we are bound for hell unless God intervenes in our life. And the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to see Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, alive for me, for you. And to embrace him by believing that this is true for me. And not only this, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. 
This is what we must understand about Scripture. God promised. He says, I guarantee this is going to happen by giving you a promise. And now he gives the Holy Spirit by saying, I guarantee you the resurrection from the dead is going to happen because you have God dwelling in you. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you will be raised from the dead. The same Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in those who believe in Jesus Christ. And the astonishing thing is that we actually begin to experience in this life now that resurrection power. As God continually, through His Spirit, overcomes sin and death in us. Now, We will all one day die. Every single one of you is going to die, unless Jesus comes back and takes you to heaven immediately, but which would be a wonderful thing. We will all die. So the question I asked at the beginning is the question I ask now. What do you believe about Jesus? These men understood. They were cut to the heart. Remember, these are the same men who killed Jesus. The same people who put him up on that cross, condemned him to death. What did Peter say to them? You're out of luck. You killed Jesus. There's no hope for you. Your sin is too big. God can't forgive it. You actually killed the Son of God. You're done. Is that what Peter says to them? No, he says, repent. Even the people who killed Jesus can turn and find life in Jesus. And if they can find life in Jesus, then so can every single one of you. So today, the call to you is to believe in Jesus. To believe that he rose from the dead. Believe that he saves you from your sins and from the wrath of God. Believe that he is your only hope and your salvation. Believe that he is the one who makes you perfectly righteous in his sight. And believe that he is at the right hand of God forever, representing you before God himself. And you, just like those men who crucified Jesus, and then a few months later believed in him, can be saved. You can be saved. And it's as simple as believing in Jesus. So today, believe. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice that Christ is risen from the dead. And Lord, we pray that you would work faith in our hearts, to rest in the hope that we have of resurrection. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to work that resurrection life in us to conquer sin and that we would have hope that we will one day rise again, no longer to suffer, no longer to face the sorrow of this life, but to be perfectly joyous and happy in the presence of you, our merciful, gracious kind and generous God. Give us hope today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.